for some people in the world even today, but maybe even for the history of mankind, they've all had to, had to scratch out a living. And they call it about a hard scrabble in the agrarian world that uh, so many people, literally from daylight you know, to, to dusk, so to speak, that they spent their entire lives literally finding a way to live, farming or whatever, that their days were, there was little ambition involved. It was simply a matter of survival. But now for many of us in modern day in developed countries, uh, we have ambition. We have plans. We have dreams. Uh, I would imagine that's true for most of you. You know, if you're a young man and a young lady, you probably dream about finding the one. Uh, that's a hope. That's a matter of prayer. And I remember when I was a kid, uh, you, the common question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, when I was a kid, it was still a real... Uh, uh, let's say, honorable thing to be a fireman. And there are people today that uh, I, I saw something new in the news, or but, but uh, not news, but a, a show recently on, on TV that talked about some of the firemen in New York City, that he goes back three and four generations, and that these, the, the current firemen, many of them were parent, had parents who died at 911, but they grew up to be like like dad, men and women. And so when I was a kid, being a fireman, being a, uh, a policeman was an honorable thing. And when I was pretty young, it was also a, a dream, sort of, to be an astronaut. What a, what a great thing that would be. Because when I, I remember uh, Sputnik, well, how many, uh, how many of you know what Sputnik is or was? <laughs> okay, not everyone, <laughs> clearly. But that was a that was a big deal to think the Russians put their, their first ones to put this spacecraft in orbit around the Earth, and you could see that go across the sky at night. And in fact, you know that many of us have seen the movie called October uh, October Sky, and it made based on a book called Rocket Boys. And there were four youngsters in the hills of West Virginia. That's that's why it caught my interest. Uh, growing up in literally a coal camp, that that inspired one of them in particular. But four of them had talent, and what they wanted to do was enter a, a science fair by building a rocket. Uh, they would launch and go up, you know, at certain certain height. But in the movie, it was about this big. <laughs> uh, and they worked, and of course the movie, I'm sure, was dramatized, but... They, they worked and worked and had failures after failures, and finally they had success in building this miniature rocket that took off. And then they had to go find it just to prove where, you know, what had happened. Uh, and at, at least in the story, and I think it's pretty much true, this part of it, is they were part of, they won their science fair. They won the state organization, I suppose, and actually won the national science fair for high school. Because this young one, the leader of the group, very smart and mathematician, uh, and along with another fellow that was a good mathematician, figured out how to do all of this. And one of them, the leader, actually became an employee 
at NASA and was part of the space program. So he had a dream. Uh, he had a, a hope of what he might do one of these days. And perhaps even uh, we read history. Uh, we, when I was a kid growing up, and you still hear this to a degree, that regardless of where you start in life, you might become the president of the United States, like Abraham Lincoln did. You're talking about a hard scrabble life. He claimed to have a total of one year of formal education. But the man was obviously very intelligent. You read his writings. They're spectacular uh, writings and very giving man. And he gave his, his life, if you will, and literally in that pursuit of doing something he thought needed to be done. Not perfect by any means, but it would appear a God-sent individual for our country. And the idea that we could grow up and become whatever we choose to do. And in reality, that's not always true for us, is it? I mean, there are many of us that have our limitations that literally and physically cannot be overcome. No matter how big a dream we might have, there are some things we just are not going to realize in this life. And yet we have all these stories, the inspirational stories given uh, on the news, on documentaries about individuals that overcome incredible handicaps to do incredible things. And I say incredible, I use that. It almost is incredible what some human beings are able to accomplish. But for the most part, those are the exceptions and not the rule. What kind of dreams did you have growing up? For most of us, I would dare say whatever we were thinking about, hoping for, working toward, have not been fully realized because somewhere along the line, God intervened and took you in a different direction. And yet, this goal, this dream, and I'm going to use that term but for it, and this day pictures fulfillment of what you and I hope for. Hopefully more than anything else. So if you want to talk a title for the sermon, put living your dream. It'd be one option. Or your hope realized. That's a, uh, we don't think too much about dreams in that sense, but our hope. The Bible talks about hopes. And also a promise fulfilled. Any of those would, would work in this particular case. So today, let's review the purpose for which God created us to literally become members of his family. Let's turn over to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So, the seventh angel sounded. This trumpet will blow. And when it happens, this particular day, which represents this happening, it's one of the trumpets. It's pictured by this day, but when this angel sounds, then is a turning point for all of us. 
One way or the other, whether we're alive when it happens or whether we're not, it doesn't matter. We're going to hear that sound. We're going to hear that call and become part of the kingdom of God. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, couple of scriptures here that talk about this this day. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 17. And Paul wrote this back to Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonica, because he'd only been there for a short time. He was not allowed to explain everything to them. And so he sends these scriptures back to him, or this letter back to them, to give them encouragement. And so let's think about, we read this whenever we perform funerals, because he closes this with, you know, we we do this so that it says that we should comfort one another in verse 18. But anyway, verse 13, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. No hope. The world is full of people who really have no hope. They are literally trying to survive to the next day. And in our world, in the, like, you can use Ukraine as an example. In any of those areas where people live in fear because there may not be another day of life. People who have died have no hope. It says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This is by the authority of Jesus Christ, is what Paul is saying. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And that trumpet sounds. The final change for each of us will occur. What this day pictures in 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 50 through verse 53, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall be changed, all, all be changed. Now that... It is a mystery because we, we don't understand what's, how we're going to feel. Uh, we won't be, we'll be suddenly spirit, so I'm, we won't have these physical sensations, I would think. But how are we going to react? It's a, it's a mystery. We won't all sleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Now, when Paul wrote that, I don't know whether he knew there were going to be seven of them or not. But he was inspired to point out it was the last one. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, 
and we shall be changed. And the corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We don't have that. We don't know what that what that feels like to be a spirit being. And we know from Revelation chapter 20, I won't turn there because just in verses 4 and 5, he talks about the resurrection in verse 5, the latter, latter part of verse 5, it says, that is the first, this is the first resurrection, which of course we know there's more than one. That's the first resurrection and our lives will change from physical to spirit. Then Paul also writes over in Titus chapter 1. Titus 1. And here we get the word hope involved in just for part of the, the title I put the word dream because we maybe don't physically dream of this. Maybe we do. Maybe some people do dream about it. I don't know what that would dream would, what you would see in the dream of happening. But nonetheless, here in, in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. That this, this all, that being godly ties into all of this, understanding this, this having this faith and knowing the truth, that uh, we can look forward to this. But all of this together, then in verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. He promised it to those that he would call, those that he would select from mankind and make a part of his work, part of his family. And he talks about this is the hope of eternal life. You and I have this ultimate hope of qualifying for God's kingdom and living forever, which, again, that we don't know what that feels like to be life, to have life. But we're saved here. In verse 4, Paul goes on to Titus, a, a, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this reason, I'm sorry, chapter 3, not, not, not chapter 1, chapter 3, I knew that didn't sound right. Verse 4 of chapter 3. But when the kindness and the love of our God, of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's how this happens, that God works with us through his Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace... We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That we are looking forward to inheriting this life. Our hope is to be realized on this day. A reality that you and I will have the chance and have the opportunity to live forever. It talks about being incorruptible. That means impossible to be corrupted. Uh, have no to be above any and all temptation, whatever there might be that would be around. But in God's kingdom, that won't be there. And in, in, once we're all in God's, God's family, 
but impossible to be corrupted. Not have to fight or resist anything that's wrong because we are not vulnerable to that. Well, how is that possible? Again, it comes obviously through the sacrifice, the death, the blood, shed blood of, of Jesus Christ. Over in 1 John chapter 1, I won't turn there, but John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 and 9, it tells us that we are cleansed from all of our sin by his blood. That's what makes this possible, that we have to be forgiven, and God has to then wipe out the, the sins, the penalty of it, we are given forgiveness of that. And then we tells us also in First uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that he is a propitiation for our sins. Let's turn back then to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at this promise. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 3. It's possible then because God planned this. Because he willed these things that would come about. And if he wills it, it will happen. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. All the things that can be showered upon us from heaven. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, that through the sacrifice of Christ we can, in fact, stand before God blameless. When the sin is wiped out, the penalty is wiped out, then we have been forgiven. Points out in verse 5 then, having predestined us to adoption, to sonship, adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Something that God has wanted to do for time immemorial, to bring this plan to fruition. And so if we're wondering about how much we might anticipate today, When it's fulfilled, God has been waiting for this for a long time because he planned this from the beginning according to his will. Then to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us according to made us acceptable in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood to forgiveness of sin or the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, the Capacity that God has to be merciful and to forgive, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Ah, Those words are added there. It is notable, I think, that God has this incredible capacity to forgive, but he does so in wisdom and in prudence. He deals with us mercifully, but he also deals with us in a way to work with us to change. He expects us to repent. But he also expects us then not only to be forgiven, but to use that as an opportunity to to change and become more like him in every way. Then in verse, verse 11, the same chapter, Ephesians 1, verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the 
purpose or the counsel of his will. God is fully in charge. And regardless of what happens in our lives or what happens in the world, it all is organized and controlled and managed by him according to his plan. That we, who first trusted in Christ, so going back to that time, right down to today, so when you use the word we, think about us. The we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. To him, or in him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. At baptism, you and I were sealed. We were given God's Holy Spirit and set apart in a very special way. And this spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise to and of his glory. So at baptism, we are given God's spirit, and that is a guarantee that you and I can qualify for his kingdom. So it's a special thing to be set apart, to be begotten as his, as his children, and, be, and know, we should know this, believe it with all of our being, that if we stay close to God, we do our part, we are guaranteed eternal life in due time, when Christ returns. Then over in 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 verses 24 and 25. 1 John chapter 2 verse 24. It says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Think about the things we heard from very time that God began to call us. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. That God is accountable for the promise he made. And of course, elsewhere, that promise is inviolable. He wills it and he will come to pass. In 2 Corinthians Chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 16 through 18. Verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. We are part of that temple. We've been chosen to be part of the spiritual superstructure that God is planning and building for eternity. For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. So we're expected to come out of the world. We're expected to change and conform our lives to the commandments, to God's statutes, his judgments, and qualify for that kingdom, but to be like him. And then in verse 18, it says, I will be a father to them. So this is to be taken literally, to be a father to us. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 
So God affirms and reaffirms and reaffirms that he is building a family. That we are part, to be part of that family. And I want to go through at least three areas here, three aspects. of What is the full meaning of that for us? How is that to be manifested? For us to be part of that family, what will that, how that will come about? And I'd like to explore at least three aspects of that. And the first one is we will be like Christ. So once we are changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be like Christ. In First Corinthians chapter 15, First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23, we read in verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the others who are asleep when Christ returns will be resurrected. And Christ is the first fruit, the first one. Verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. And then later in the same chapter, verses 45 through 49, Paul writes in verse 45, For so it is written, The first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Life inherent in God, he can share with us and make, make us alive. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. For as the man, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly, heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. So he tells us here that there's going to be a heavenly part to it. Verse 49, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, you and I are human, we're physical, our bodies can decay. As is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. We are going to be heavenly as Christ is heavenly. We're going to be spirit as Christ is spirit. We're going to take on the image of the heavenly. Well, what is that image? Let's turn over to Revelation 1. We have a description there of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, verse 12. John is recording here what was inspired and what he saw in vision. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, 
as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet are like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he added his right hand, seven stars out of his mouth, went a sharp two-edged sword. I'll stop there, but the description of Jesus Christ, the end of it, we'll go on. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So that's what Christ looks like as a spirit being. Now, and John saw that in vision, but we know that as a physical man, we would not be able to do that and, and live. But Mr. Armstrong used to talk about this a great deal. That we would be able to shine like a star, like a sun. And we know that we, we can't even physically, it's not safe to look directly at the sun. You know, we want to see a, an eclipse. We're warned to wear special glasses. You know, to look through a, a piece of glass or whatever because we'd be blinded by it. Do damage to our eyes. So Christ has this countenance shining, in it, you know, like the sun in its strength. So this is what it, what it looks like. Just look at Christ. I think about that shining part of it, that we will have that same spiritual nature. That if we have to be, if we're a spirit being and we can see him, and we'll go on here in just a moment, in First John chapter 3 to think about this from what what it means to us. First John chapter 3, verse 1, says, For what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. It's, again, a family. There's the family, understanding the family of God, as I've mentioned before, is one of the fundamental things that God revealed to Mr. Armstrong. That right now that family has two, two individuals, the Father and Jesus Christ. But he is a family, and we're invited to be part of that and called to be part of that. Therefore, the world does not know us, neither did it know him. Because, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we'll be able to see Christ as he is, not as he was as a man, which means if we're going to share that likeness, you and I will be, if we want to choose, to be radiant in that way. We'll have life. Now, not surplanting him by any means. But over in Daniel chapter 12, this was given in prophecy. In Daniel chapter 12, Daniel 12, verses 1 through 3. At that time, Michael, in verse 1, at that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Michael's watching over us. He's watching over today's church. Those that God has selected to be part of his work at this time. And then there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since, since there was a nation, even to that time. And to that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, 
some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Do we dream about shining? We hope about we would be one of those that can shine like the sun. I, not to uh, play this down a bit, but for me, just an example. Andrea Bocelli happens to be my, I guess, my favorite singer. It's not converted. <laughs> uh, he has a song called Born to Shine. Half of it's in English and half of it's in Italian. And I don't know what he's saying in Italian and And if it's pagan, I don't want to know about it. (laughs) The English part is stirring. I don't know if you've ever heard it or not. You can pull it up on on your phone in a heartbeat. Andrea Bocelli, Born to Shine. But it's a stirring song. But that's that's what the song is about. He he has these words in English, understand it. We were born to shine. Now, he doesn't even know what (laughs) what he's singing, really. But you and I do. It says right here that we are those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. Does that affect your hope? Your hope? Your dreams? Why we discipline ourselves? Why would you and I change and not succumb to the world? Why would we deny the flesh? Why would Paul say that everything that the world had to offer to him was like so much trash in order for him to gain salvation? Do we look at the world around us? It says here, that it says in verse 1, it again says that it's a time of trouble. It says, and many of those who are asleep are going to be wake up. It's going to be a time of never like that. And we are expected to come out of that world in First John. And all of the things that we do and all the sacrifices that you and I make should, if you will, no, no, no uh, pun intended here, but should fade <laughs> compared to the brightness of shining out of the firmament. That's what God is offering you and me, to become like Jesus Christ. To shine even as he shines. In first John, or I'll be in John chapter 17. We find here the words that Christ prayed before his crucifixion. In John chapter 17 and his reference to this, this very thing. Verses 1 and 2. John 17, verse 1, says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his voice to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son. Now, there's a lot of meaning in that word glorify, but certainly part of that is make me again part of your spiritual family, that your Son may also glorify you, honor you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So Christ is going to be given us this life that God gave him, and he's going to share it with us. Then in verse 11, 
says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name the church of God, the family of God, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. And then one last verse here in verse 24. And Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. We can see God. We can see Christ because we will be spirit beings and able to do so. That you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So we're going to be able to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Verses 4 and 5. It says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism and death, or into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We should change. We should become Christians. We should practice righteousness. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also, also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We're going to be Spirit beings as Christ is spirit. In Psalm 17, David wrote about this. Psalm 17. Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. These promises that God gave us to that this day represents that we are going to shine like the suns. We're going to shine like Jesus Christ. We are given the opportunity to become like Christ spiritually. We've been predestined chosen in mass down through time God could see the right ones to choose we've been predestined to become part of that family the family right now again two individuals but begotten there are thousands of us we don't know how many there have been but they're very limited in the Old Testament but again the indications are at the time when the Spirit was given the Holy Spirit given on the day of Pentecost and what happened in the years after that There could have been tens of thousands then, but there aren't that many thousands alive today. But So down through 2,000 years, limited number, but we're going to have a chance to be given. And we've been chosen, predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ himself. In Romans chapter 8, one last scripture on this point. I'll change that. We have one more scripture besides this. Romans chapter 8. Verse 29. 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You go through these scriptures because it just God over and over reaffirms, he reiterates what he is offering to each of his chosen servants at this time. And he talks about being conformed to the image of his son here. That's, that's, that's not just a metaphor of spiritual character. That is a complete description of becoming not only spiritually like Christ, but being spirit as Christ is spirit. Being very much part of that because he's, he's intent for us to be part of that family. And then later in that same chapter, or earlier in verse 14, Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We are expected to use and refresh spiritually through God's God's Spirit and stir it up, serve Him. And if we do so, we are the sons of God, part of that family. In verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. We don't need to fear failure. We need to stand in awe of God, but we need to believe in our success. That God's Spirit given to us is a guarantee that you and I can be successful. We can be part of that family. So we didn't receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but received the spirit of sonship, of adoption, by, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That we literally think of God, the Father, as our Father. And let's, on a human basis, think about that for a moment, even as small children. How much we revere our parents. How much we trust them. When we're little, the old saying is, my dad can beat your dad. (laughs) My dad can whip your dad. That, just a, a physical expression. That dad was Superman. Because of... The way you look at your parents, the way you look at mom, they are your blanket for security. I, uh, comes to mind, I have to think about this, living in a little, little small house. My dad was disabled when I was four years old, so I grew up with, with dad at home. But occasionally I would come in from roaming the hills with my friends and it'd be dark. Well, when mom and dad were home, that was, that was where everything was safe. But if I would come home and the lights were out and there was no one there, I would sit on the porch <laughs> till mom and dad came home. I didn't go in the house. I thought, oh, I need to be out here for whatever reason. Because it would, all of a sudden, the security wasn't there. Even though it was pretty much a very safe environment where we lived outside of this little town. But the whole idea was mom and dad were my security. Father, our spiritual father, is our security. We go to him with our needs. He says he cares for us. So part of that family. Verse 16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. As if today, you know, we have, as human beings, we have wills. We have trust. And in it, we, we put our belongings, we delegate how, how those belongings are going to be shared with our children. And our children know, well, this, 
I, it's in due time, you know, I, I will receive this. I don't really, I'm not anxious to receive it, my parents to die, but this is what's going to come my way. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. And we are promised today that this is what the thing, one of the things we can look forward to. If indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. So he tells us we have a chance to be glorified together. I'd like to read those scriptures from the Moffat translation. In verses 14 through 17. He says, for the son of God, for the sons of God are those who are guided by the spirit of God. You have received no slavish spirit that would make you relapse into fear. You have received the spirit of sonship. And when we cry, Abba, Father, it is this spirit testifying along with our own spirit that we are children, that we see our relationship to the Father. We're the children of God. And if children, heirs as well, heirs of God, heirs along with Christ, for we share his sufferings in order to share his glory. I think the Moffat translation puts that very well and inspiring. All right, point number two. What we can look forward to is we will we will be above angels and given positions of rulership. Rulership and responsibility. Over in Hebrews chapter 1. Again, that, the second point, that we will be above angels and given positions of rulership. Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 13 and 14. Paul writes, he says, but to the, to which of the angels has he ever given or ever said, set at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? So none of the angels. That's referring obviously to Jesus Christ. But talking about the angels in verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits? Sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. The angels won't inherit salvation. They're spirit beings, the angels that serve God, but they don't have salvation the same way you and I are going to be a part of that family as children of God. They are to serve us. They do serve us. They take care of us. They, they deliver messages, not maybe the same way in the Old Testament, but they're there to Serve those that God calls, and we are going to be given a greater position than those angels. In chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 5, one verse, Hebrews 2, verse 5, For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. Angels will not be rulers. They will not be given authority over cities, nations, as those who are part of the family of God. Different responsibility. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, scripture we refer to often one way or another. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, sorry. Begin reading in verse 2. 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 2 
So do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge smallest the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? So part of our responsibility, one way or the other, will be to judge angels. Measurement, we'll see, find more detail about that later, but the responsibility. We know in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, that we're going to reign on the earth as kings and priests, given responsibility of rulership, different and above what angels are given to do. We are going to be given responsibility. Revelation 2, verse 26, I'll refer to. Revelation 2, verse 26, and we're talking about one of the churches. In Asia Minor, just as a parallel to a down through time, that those who overcome will be given power over the nations. Positions of great responsibility. And then in Luke chapter 22, some, some positions have already been declared. We know where they're going to be. In Luke chapter 22, verses 28 through 30, and this is in response to the disciples having a bit of a debate among themselves as who is going to be the greatest, and worrying about that, which again the irony is they were worried about this just at the time of the crucifixion. But they're wondering about who is the greatest. And after explaining they should not be worried about that, he does tell them in verse 28, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. Those of you who are faithful. Those of you who live and die supporting me, doing my work, growing, becoming like me. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me. We're going to be part of that and sharing in that kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So some, some positions have already been delegated. And we don't know what ours will be. Will it be a city? Will it be several cities? Will it be a county? In today's lingo, How big will our reward be? We don't know yet. But God says he's going to give us tremendous responsibility. And for those of us that maybe lack a little self-confidence, that worries us. I I don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't have the training to do that. But being spirit beings, God will give us the wisdom. Being part of the family of God, we'll know what to do and how, how to do those things. We know, of course, that David himself will be over all of Israel. Their position's been assigned. In Revelation chapter 3, in referring to one of the churches, Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, talking about the Philadelphian Church, Revelation 3, verse 12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. 
Now, does that, not sure what, it, uh, that's metaphorical, but I think it also has a physical piece. Maybe we're part of headquarters. Right there, the temple of our God, the temple that they will hold where that temple, that throne will be. And he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. So we're going to be given tremendous responsibility. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, refers to Christ being at the right hand of the throne of God. In fact, there are two other places in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 12. And also Hebrews 12, 2. Hebrews 8, 1, 10, 12, 12, 2 all talk about Christ being at the right hand of the throne of God. So we're going to share in that government. In Zechariah chapter 14, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, being part of that kingdom, part of that government, referring to Jesus Christ here, it says, The eternal shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one, and his name is one. We will be sharing the rulership of the entire earth, even earlier in given explained in, in uh, Revelation chapter 5. Let's turn back to Revelation 3. In closing out this particular point. Again, referring to one of the churches. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21 and I know this does refer to the Laodicean era, but think it in terms of those who are not that way, those who prove themselves to be zealous. Verse 21, record says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And I also, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So that's why we return back to Zechariah, that Christ will be king over all the earth. And here are some of those that are faithful, are granted the privilege of actually sharing that throne by what it tells us there. Right, point number three. And this is, these are scriptures, again, I know that we, we know, we've heard them. But these are scriptures that specifically talk about receiving a God plain inheritance. Because the world at large would look at this as blasphemy. To think we are literally going to become God, God beings. But that is what this day represents will happen. You and I, when this day is fulfilled, will become part of the family of God literally. In John chapter 10, in a In a physical way, Christ makes reference to this, and the he's quoting in John chapter 10, verse 32, 
He's quoting from the Old Testament, from Psalm 82, but the way he's referring to this, where it talks in, in the in, back in uh, uh, the in Psalm, he, he talks about men referring to them as gods, as being Elohim with a, a small e, but it's it's a bit different here. So we find here in John chapter 10, verse 32, he says, Jesus answered them. Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. That, that's pretty much true in the world today. I, one TWP that I participated in in Florida had three individuals come up. It was a couple, and I think it was her mother. And they said, we love everything you publish. The writings are just incredible. The magazine, the booklets. But we have a question. Do, do, do you mean, in your, in your rendering, that you, you're, you're teaching that people, human beings, are going to become God? And I took, said, the short answer... <laughs> Yes, yes, that's what we teach. That's what the Bible tells us. They left. That one belief, that one doctrine, they could not accept. God is God. There is only one God. So we are not going to become part of that. That can't be right. You need to understand this is, if you would put it this way, this is a big deal for us to do this. Because it's blasphemy to the world. And Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent to the world, you're blaspheming? Because I said, I'm the son of God. And so because he claimed it, they were willing to stone him. They were willing to, to kill him. And there might be, in due time, who knows, people who reject what we teach, possibly for the same reason. But the point is that Christ was saying, we are gods. And in Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 So we understand here that we're not claiming to supersede God. We're not claiming to supersede Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. We're simply teaching that you and I have a chance to become part of that family. Always subservient, always submitting willingly to the government that God has in place. Again, what Mr. Armstrong said and what Mr. Ames quotes so often is that God, the Father, reigns supreme. And Jesus Christ said the Father is greater than he is. So there is this hierarchy. But somewhere in that hierarchy where God tells us, Christ said, that I'm big, I'm going away. There's this mansion with positions and responsibilities. There are plenty of them, and I'm preparing a place for you. 
So you and I have a place that's being prepared for us. We are not going to supersede God, the Father, or Jesus Christ, but we are joining a God-plain family, a God-plain existence. In Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, Paul writes about this. We've been read verses 5 through 11. Verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 2. For he has not put the world to come which we speak, of which we speak in subjection to angels, which we read earlier. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or of the Son of Man that you should take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. So that not only was Christ made lower than the angels physically for a time, but you and I are less than the angels for the time being. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Christ has governorship over all things. We're part of that. We'll be part of that. But in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is put not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For bespitting for him, for whom all things are all things, and by whom are all things, to bringing many sons to glory, there was a means here to an end. What happened was not the, the end. There was a, a reason for all of it to happen the way it did. It was to bring many sons to glory. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he, Christ, who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We are family. We ever talk about that in the church? We're family. We think about, in spite of the differences that you and I may have, we're family. What supersedes all those differences? It's God's Spirit in you and in me. We see God's Spirit active and alive in each other. And we are family. Part of the family of God. We are, and Christ is not ashamed to call us brethren. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Christ is the head over the church and he is the inheritance over all things. But guess what? In verse 7, talks about those who overcome, those who, of us who change and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. As Mr. Ames has re-emphasized so many times, that means all things. That means the universe. Now that's beyond most of our comprehension. What God has planned for us. But you and I will be part of the government over all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Let's notice in chapter 22, of course, John is being given this vision. 
in verses 8 and 9, it says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, there's an angel, and I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. You don't kneel down and worship me. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So it tells us very clearly here that only God is to be worshipped. John tried to worship this angel. He was forbidden to do that. So let's turn back to chapter 3 again of Revelation And this is talking about one of the churches, of course. Physically, what one of the churches in Asia Minor at that time, but representative of one of the eras of God's church down through time. Read here in verses 7 through 9. Talking about, again, the church of Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things who is holy, says he who is holy and No, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no no one shuts and shuts and no one opens, referring clearly to Christ. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength that kept my word and have not denied my name. You've done my work. You've been faithful. Because of that, it says, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are not, but they're lying. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. Only God can be worshipped. We'll be part of the family of God. We'll be God as God is God, but always serving him and underneath him. And to those that I have loved, and they'll know that I have loved you. Enormous gift that resonates today on this Feast of Trumpets when God says that that trumpet will sound and the dead will be resurrected and those who are alive will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Our human existence, our physical lives are nothing more really than training ground. They're proving ground. For you and me to prove that God can put us into his family and give us eternal life. It's not always easy, is it? Not at all. Sometimes it's very difficult to be Christians. But you and I are reminded today on the Feast of Trumpets that our Father is holding out to us something very special. He's offering to us eternity as his sons and his family. Again, in closing here to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy 
has begotten us again to a living hope. It should be something that is alive in our minds. It is part of our psyche. Every day we wake up and we pray to that, to that God that we serve. Part of our fragile, sometimes, mentality. That we are the children of God. Begotten. Very special calling. And we have a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This hope of to an inheritance. Incorruptible. And undefiled. And that does not fade away. An existence of perfection. Of righteousness. Of incorruptibility. Of immortality. That has no end. It won't fade away. As human beings we fade a bit. <laughs> we get old enough. Things change. We go to bed. Feeling pretty good. We wake up and wonder what went wrong while we slept. <laughs> that didn't hurt last night. <laughs> but it does this morning. We fade physically. Sell here this gift of eternal life. This inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. It's reserved, waiting for us, if you will, reserved in heaven, waiting for this day to be fulfilled. When the trumpet sounds, the dead resurrected, and those who are alive changed. A time for us to rejoice, and if we need a reason to celebrate, <laughs> this day, I know there are lots of lots of things to discuss, and Mr. Smith will has the meaning of the day this afternoon, so he uh, has more to say about all of that. And I hope I didn't infringe too much on his territory. But this day is a great day of celebration for you and me. When that trumpet sounds, our dream, our hope, our reason for being in this life right now will be fulfilled once we're changed into the family of God as spirit beings.